Hello there, and welcome to episode number 85 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Alright, so in this week's episode, we got injury updates regarding Nate Pearson, Kevin Biggio, Jordan Romano. We're going to get into the situation involving Robbie Ray and how he didn't make the trip to Canada, specifically Toronto. And then we're going to dive into... Yusei Kikuchi's latest gem and how over his last three starts he has been unbelievable. So we're going to dive into the numbers, what he's changed, uh, a little bit of a a tip of the cap to Pete Walker and the Blue Jays uh, coaching staff. Uh, Then we're going to dive into another player who's performing extremely well for the Blue Jays lately and that's Bo Bichette who, you know, single-handedly, he's basically carrying the offense uh, or has been carrying the offense over the last you know week or so so we're going to dive into his numbers then we're going to get into Jose Barrios and how he's tabbed to start Tuesday's game against the Seattle Mariners and why there's a little cause for concern regarding Barrios and some of his performances and and his results we're going to get into that and then we, we got a pair of promotions to discuss as well to uh, a pair of the Blue Jays' top young pitchers. Uh, we're going to dive into what they've done so far, where they're headed, and uh, so on and so forth. So let's get started here. All right, so like we always do, we're going to get with the injury updates first and foremost. And we're going to start with Nate Pearson, who is slated to throw a bullpen bullpen session uh, at the Blue Jays player development complex today uh, down in Dunedin. If everything goes well with that, uh, he'll likely face a bullpen session and then potentially go out on a rehab assignment as well. But, you know, still, this is someone who hasn't seen any game action since March, I want to believe. Um, and has been trying to build up his stamina uh, after recovering from mono um, months ago. So he's probably still a ways away. No timeline has been set for his return. Um, But hopefully we get an update later this week about, you know, next steps, possibly when we can expect to see him on a rehab assignment. I assume that'll be down in Buffalo with the Bisons and they'll probably want to get him a handful of starts. They may even just leave him down there uh, like they did with say Kevin Biggio who has completely recovered from COVID and has been optioned down to AAA Buffalo so he can get some more reps there. Again, build himself up and it's not like Biggio was performing all that well uh, at at the big league level with the Blue Jays prior to catching COVID so um, he clearly has a few things to work on and hopefully he's able to accomplish that in the minors with the Bisons Um, you know I, I also like that move from a matchup standpoint for the Blue Jays as well because right now the way their bench is constructed if you were to recall Biggio and send Vinny Capra down, you would have no righties on the bench. Be all left-handed hitters in, in uh, Tapia, 
in Zimmer, Collins, and then Biggio. But with with Capra on the bench rather than Biggio, you have that one right-handed hitter. And even though you know he, he he's not a, an established major league hitter, if there's a tough lefty on the mound and you're at the bottom of the order, you can call upon Capra and hopefully uh, give you a, a better matchup at the plate in that situation. So. Again, we'll see how Biggio does over uh, over the next week or so, and and uh, see where where the Blue Jays are at with him in that department. Uh, you know, towards the end of May, and then also finally, Jordan Romano, who wasn't available Monday night, and uh, the reason for that wasn't revealed until after the game when manager Charlie Montoyo revealed that he was dealing with a non-COVID illness and that uh, they weren't worried about him uh, being contagious around anyone, but they, they were going to give him the night off. So hopefully that means he's back and ready to pitch Tuesday night um, because the other unfortunate incident that happened as well and I, I failed to mention this off the top, but that's Tim Mazza went on the 15-day injured list with left forearm inflammation. And that's a massive blow to the Blue Jays' bullpen. And if you pair that with not having Jordan Romano, it's even worse. Because then you were down to Jimmy Garcia, Trevor Richards, and Adam Simber as your high-leverage arms. Now, in most circumstances when you have Romano and Meza at the back of the bullpen who can pitch in the ninth and eighth innings you're okay with that right but you had Trevor Richards just suddenly lose his command and couldn't touch the strike zone then you have to bring in Jimmy Garcia who has been a little shaky um, as of late too so you're not entirely confident in his ability to uh, pitch in high leverage spots, but you had to because he was one of the only few you were able uh, to use last night. And then ultimately, thankfully, the offense broke out and the Blue Jays were able to bring in Ross Stripling late in the game, but because he allowed a couple of runners on base, uh, they had to bring in Adam Simber, who was very efficient and closed at the game in like five or six pitches. So uh, I would assume he could probably pitch Tuesday night if needed uh, hopefully that's not the case but you never know um, but yeah it's it's a really really tough blow to lose Tim Meza but at the same time too that's what happens when you lean heavily on your relievers out of the gate and you know when they don't have enough recovery time you're bound to have injuries and thankfully this only appears to be a minor thing for Jordan Romano and uh, he should be back and available Tuesday night uh, and hopefully through the rest of the series as well um, because we all know if the Blue Jays are, are in a tight game and they have the lead you're gonna see Jordan Romano up uh, late in the game so that's the situation on those injury updates now I want to get into further about Monday night's game because um, you know, the offense may have gotten a lot of the attention, and rightly so, especially given their struggles uh, late uh, throughout most of the season. But 
the Blue Jays don't win Monday's opener against Seattle, if not for Yusei Kikuchi, who was making his first start against his former team. Uh, but the notable thing is, Kikuchi is dramatically different and has dramatically changed since he last pitched for the Mariners in 2021. And that's because of Pete Walker and the Blue Jays coaching staff. And, you know, when, when Kikuchi first arrived to the Blue Jays, he didn't perform very well. And, and there were a lot of, uh, a lot of warning signs and, and concerns that you had because, you know, more often than not, he was leaning on his cutter, which isn't a good pitch and really doesn't cut all that much and, and primarily just stays in the middle of the strike zone. And that's why it previously gave up so much damage. Um, and he wasn't throwing his four-seamer enough, which is a really good fastball. Like, there are a handful, only a handful of lefties in the majors um, who throw as hard as Kikuchi. And his fastball was electric Monday night, topping out at 97 miles per hour. Um, and, and under the tutelage of, of Walker and, and, and the Blue Jays coaching staff, they've gotten Kikuchi to buy in. And uh, Kikuchi spoke about it after Monday night's game too and, and, and basically said, like, look, um, you know, I, I'm not normally open to making midseason changes, but the thing that Pete Walker and the Blue Jays coaching staff preached was that we're not looking for instant results. We want this to be a more prolonged success thing rather than instant success. And, you know, that got him to listen to what they had to suggest. And a large part of that was throwing his four-seamer a lot more. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, you know, like in his first start back on April 12th, he only threw his four-seamer 32.1% of the time. On Monday, he threw it a season-high 64.4% of the time. That's basically double. Like, it's amazing what happens when you use your best pitch more. And... Another thing they've gotten gotten Kikuchi to do is he's merged his slider and cutter together. So he now has like the best of both worlds with one pitch. And that's his slider. It has more of a cutter velocity. Like it's, it's up around the high 80s averaging. On Monday, it averaged 87.8 miles per hour. It was up around you know, 90 miles per hour too, but it has a lot more horizontal break to it, which his cutter didn't have. And that makes it just a little bit more effective. It's still getting hit around a bit. Um, you know, on the season, hitters are, are slashing 302, a, a 605, a 456 Woba. Um, you know, it, it's only generating a 25.8% whiff rate and an 18.4% uh, strikeout rate. Um, but there's definitely uh, some upside to that pitch, without a doubt. Um, 
Now, if he can continue to improve on it and get it away from the middle of the strike zone a little bit more, he'll be even more effective. But over his last three, start, three starts, there's nothing real to complain about regarding Kikuchi. Um, you know, during that span, he's, he's logged 17 in the third innings, he's performed to a 156 ERA, a 275 uh, FIP. Yeah, he's got a 31.3% strikeout rate because he's struck out 20 batters over those 17 and a third innings. The walks are notable, right? Like he's got seven walks to 20 strikeouts. Um, so that's something he needs to work on a little bit. Uh, there are times where he can lose the strike zone, but you know, on the other hand, he also has the ability to zone back in um, and, and, you know, be off and running again, just like nothing ever happened. So, you know, that's that's a very encouraging sign. And and also, too, like the development of his splitter is continuing to progress, too. Um, you know, it, it had some nice moments Monday night, too. He didn't throw it all that much. He only threw it seven times. Um, but uh, he got a pair of strikeouts with it. So, you know, he, even though he's not using it all that much, when he gets in two strike counts, specifically against righties, that's a third option for him to get an out. Um, you know, I, I would really like to see him increase that usage even a little bit more too, um, preferably around like 17 or 18% uh, range, but you know, at the same time, too, you can't argue with the results, right? Um, you know, too, like, we talk about Robbie Ray a lot, especially because of the Mariners, right? And the fact that because Robbie Ray, and I'll get into this, too, right now, uh, and then we'll get back to Kikuchi, but, you know, the fact that Robbie Ray didn't even make the trip to Toronto because he's reportedly unvaccinated and would have to quarantine for 14 days after entering into Canada so obviously he's not going to play so why would he come but you know Ray isn't having a good year this season like his velo is down dramatically his fastball and slider aren't performing like they did last year and it's so interesting to note too because you think of Kikuchi and the way he's utilizing his four-seamer and now his slider slash cutter, which is being referred to as like 50 different names. Uh, I believe the Mariners referred to it as a slutter. And Pete Walker and Kikuchi are calling it a bitter because it's a bigger cutter. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just going to go off of what Baseball Savant is calling it, and that's a slider. And just leave it at that. But um, you know, it's it's eerily similar of how Robbie Ray attacks hitters with that, you know, uh, mid to high 90s fastball. He's got the breaking ball as well. Kikuchi's is obviously it's a different shape, but they are trying to shape it or, or configure it a little bit similar to how Ray's slider is. Um, and then obviously Kikuchi has that splitter too that he mixes in. And uh, you know, if 
he continues down this path, you know, it definitely opens the door for what Kikuchi's ceiling could potentially be for the Blue Jays this year. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was like, okay, like, if he's the most expensive fifth starter on the team, then you can live with it, right? Um, because of how talented the top of the Blue Jays rotation is with Barrios, even though he's struggling right now, um, and, and Gosman and, and Manoa, and Ryu even looked uh, really well in his first start back from the injured list. He located his changeup uh, impressively. So, um, you know, the Blue Jays went healthy and when their guys are right, they have a plenty of depth. And, you know, now that Kikuchi has kind of refined his craft, he, he's also simplified his delivery too. You don't see any more uh, hesitation in his windup. He's cleaned that up. Uh, he's a lot more just straightforward to the plate in his windup. Uh, and that's seemed to do him well too. So, um, you know, like maybe his ceiling is more of a, a middle of the rotation guy and if the Blue Jays can can get that type of performance out of Kikuchi as their number five pitcher whoo that's uh that's extremely valuable and uh again too there's still room for improvement right like I mentioned the slider I mentioned the fact that he loses or he can lose his uh command a little bit you know like there are still areas where Kikuchi can improve and yet he's still performing to a you know a sub two ERA over his last three starts like it is it's incredible what he's been able to accomplish and you know we have to also consider as well he's basically been thrown into the fire a little bit here too like he he has been making some in-season changes and has faced really good offenses too you know, like he's faced the Astros twice. He's faced the Red Sox. He's faced the Yankees a couple of times. The Mariners offense is no, uh, um, they're no pushovers either. Like they, they got some really good hitters in that, in that uh, batting order as well. So, you know, the fact that he's been able to put together three really good starts, uh, it bodes well for him moving forward. And, and I can't wait to see what comes next for him. And moving on here too, Bo Bichette. I mean, he started off the season extremely poorly, right? Um, was chasing way more than he usually does. Um, you know, he, he was really a, a detriment at times to the top of the Blue Jays order. And he's been anything but since the start of May. I mean, you can even take it back a little bit further, too. Like, you can go as far back as April 30th, a little bit before um, the calendar turned to May. And he's been lights out. Um, you know, over his last 65 pl plate appearances, which spans across his last 15 games, Bo's hitting to a 317 average, a 369 on base, a 500 slugging a 383 Woba, a 155 way to runs create a plus score. He's got five doubles, two home runs, eight RBIs. He played extremely well 
uh, in Monday night's game against the Mariners, hitting uh, a first inning home run for the Blue Jays, which um, looking back was huge. Went three for five on the night as well. Um, and two, I think what stands out to me as well is that his plate discipline has been a little bit better over this stretch too. Um, you know, he's still not seeing many pitches in the zone because pitchers know they can probably get him to chase. But his swinging strike rate is only around is only at ten and a half percent, and on the season it's thirteen percent, I believe. So um, you know, that's that's a really good sign too for me as well. Um, you know, his outside swing percentage is around uh, where it should be at 42.4%. That's about where his career norm is. Um, you know, there still are times where he, he's extending the strike zone awfully. Uh, frequent, er, uh, uh, he's chasing at really bad pitches. Um, but that's just part of his game. Um, and we just have to accept it. But... You know, the way he is performing lately, you can live with those bad chases because you know, more often than not, he's going to make up for it. And that's what he's been doing lately. Um, And, you know, thankfully, George Springer didn't suffer a significant injury uh, over the weekend in Tampa Bay where he uh, sort of lost the ball, I think, or you know, lost track of where he was in the field down at the pitiful Tropicana Field. It's easily the worst stadium in Major League Baseball. But uh, Springer was tracking a ball in center field, couldn't tell where the warning track was because it's literally the same surface as the rest of the field. It's just turf, it's not dirt. So when you're uh, running back, you can't tell with your feet whether or not you're close to the wall. So um, you know, as he was falling over, he, he rolled his ankle a bit and it looked like, you know, he may have sprained it. Luckily, you know, it wasn't a serious, um, injury because, uh, you know, with him at the top of the order, Bichette playing the way he is, Vladdy's got a, a 13 game hitting streak, even though, uh, he's not hitting for, for much power during this, uh, hot streak still, um, He's still trying to finding a way to, to uh, serve as a, a difference maker. And yes, you know, it, it's off-putting that Vladdy's slugging metrics are down considerably over this hitting streak. But you also have to look at the fact that pitchers just aren't pitching to him. You know, like uh, the majority of the time, Vladdy is seeing pitches away from him. So, you know, even though he has power foul line foul line where he's seeing pitches it's very difficult for him to square those balls up like he's still creating a ton of hard contact but to be able to elevate those pitches and get them over the wall especially given how uh the balls are essentially deader this year um it's just you're you're not going to see the ball fly um off of laddie's bat as much as we have in the past Unless you have somebody like Teoscar Hernandez start hitting well, and then pitchers have no other choice but to pitch to Vladdy because you don't want to walk him and put him on base and then have Teoscar Hernandez hit him in. So I think that's going to even itself out 
with time, but now that you have the top four of, of the lineup healthy and aside from Hernandez hitting well, you know, it, it seems like it's only a matter of time before this offense starts to really break out. And we sort of saw it uh, Monday night where they scored six runs. Uh, I think that's only the second time this season they've scored uh, over five. So, you know, it also helps too that their competition's getting a little bit easier as we go. I mean, they got the Cincinnati Reds coming up after the Mariners. So undoubtedly, um, that should give a little bit of a boost to their offense. And uh, I mean, I, I not to, you know, do a selfish plug here, but I did write an article up today on Matt Chapman and, uh, over at Jays Nation and how, you know, even though his slugging metrics, his traditional ones at least, are in the dumpster right now, his expected ones are actually um, considerably higher than his traditional metrics. So um, given that, you know, Chapman went deep in Monday night's game and his expected numbers are really high, it seems like only a matter of time and still he, uh, until he starts um, hitting for power too, because um, he's doing all the things right. He's, 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 you know, he. There's a lot of swing and miss in his swing, um, but he creates a lot of hard contact. He hits the ball in the air, um, so I don't think what we've seen slugging wise from Matt Chapman is what we're going to see through the rest of the season. I think that's going to normalize itself over time, just like I'm sure it will with Vladdy, and just like it has with Bo Bichette, and like I'm sure it will with Teoscar Hernandez as we move forward, as he gets his timing, um, or as he readjusts his timing after missing so much time with that oblique injury. Um, so, I mean, to get the offense going a little bit here, to have a fantastic performance out of Yusei Kikuchi. If the Blue Jays bullpen was at full strength, that would have been a complete performance for Toronto too. And before I forget too, we have to give credit to Boba Shett's defense because it was on full display Monday night. And that, uh, you know, hasn't always been the case recently. Um, there have been a a few instances where Bichette has, you know, made some costly errors at short, but overall his defense has been much, much improved this year. And that was evident last night where the Blue Jays were in a tough jam. They had the bases loaded, um, but there were two out. And because there were only three umpires at last night's game, there were, because, um, because of that, one of the umpires was positioned just off the mound in the infield. And when a little chopper was hit to the shortstop position, Bo had to angle himself so that he was able to get around the umpire but still make a clean throw to first base. And then to make things even more difficult, he bobbled the ball shortly after scooping it up. So, you know, the pace, patience that he displayed while getting a better grip on the ball, making sure he worked around that umpire, 
and was still able to make a clean throw to first base to get the Blue Jays out of that jam was just like it was speed I was left speechless I truly was um you know I think that's that easily is one of the best defensive plays I've seen him make in his career um you know that's just to be able to do all of that with the bases loaded in a really tough spot um you know, it, it speaks volumes to how much his defense has improved uh, over the last year or so. And, you know, with Jose Barrios on the mound for Wednesday's or Tuesday's game, we're going to need another good offensive and defensive performance from Bo because Barrios is, uh, hasn't had the start to the season that he or the Blue Jays envisioned back in spring training. Because across his first seven starts, Brios owns a 5.82 ERA, a 5.13 FIP, but more importantly is that he also carries a 7.37 expected ERA and a 292 opponent's average and his strikeout totals are down alarmingly he's got just a 15.3 percent strikeout rate and a year ago it was at 26.1 percent so not only is he allowing a ton of hits his strikeouts are down and he's allowing a ton of hard contact at a 49.2% clip on the season. Oh yeah, not to mention his ground ball rate has dropped by over 10% on the season. So, yeah, uh, for a guy that that thrives at inducing weekly hit ground balls, not what you want to see from Jose Barrios, and. You know, he has gotten better a little bit um, over his last few starts, but still, he's not striking out as many batters as you would like. He's giving up more hard contact than you would like. Um, And for me, I think one of the biggest issues he has right now is that he's not controlling either of his two best pitches, and those are his four-seamer and his curveball. Um, you know, his curveball has been located outside the zone a lot more than it has in previous years. It's got a 60.1% uh, out of zone percentage. Last season, it was at 54.7%. His fastball has been catching way too much in the middle of the middle of the plate um, than you would like. So, you know, if he's able to... command both of those pitches a little bit better he should see some improved results um but in particular with his strikeout totals because his curveball has been missing a lot outside the zone hitters are able to just lay off it easily and and that's why he's only posting a 28.2 percent strikeout rate with his curveball last season it was at 40.2 percent so 
you know that's that's a very sizable uh, difference and so uh, and his whiff rate is down considerably too it's it was a year ago it was at 34.4 percent this year it's only at 29.7 percent um, and opposing batters are crushing his four seamer because again it's catching too much of the middle of the plate uh, right now they're hitting 392 647 um, you know they got a hard it's got a hard hit rate against of 55.8 percent that's the highest among all of his pitches um, and and as well too he's not using his two-seamer as much and again that could be a control thing um, because again uh, similar to his four-seamer it's catching a little bit too much of the zone and hitters are creating a lot of hard contact against it um, so maybe he just doesn't have the feel of that two-seamer right now um, but its its usage is down to just 24.4% a year ago it was up closer to 30% um, so I, I, I think it's more of a, a touch and feel kind of thing and you know based on the way Barrio struggled in his first start you know I have a feeling we can credit a lot of his struggles um, to the lockout and the shortened spring and how he out of probably anyone aside from Hunjin Ryu really needed those six weeks of spring training to get the feel of his pitches to um, be able to feel comfortable with his delivery and really repeat it um, extremely well too um, so you know I, I, I think for a guy of his stature he should be able to hone it in a, a little bit here and again too similar to Kikuchi Barrios has faced some really good teams as well so you know when when you're going through command issues it doesn't help that you're playing against the Yankees and the Red Sox twice and the Astros and the Guardians who give them credit are really effective at uh, putting the bat to the ball and spraying it the other way um, and they did that a lot against Barrios uh, in that start on May 5th where he allowed six earned runs and eight hits um, so you know, I, I think, again, I, I'm confident in Barrios' ability to bounce back from this, but, you know, I think we're going to have to give him a little bit more time, too. Um, but as well, he should uh, benefit from, from lesser competition as well, so that, you know, you, you're facing hitters who are going to be more willing to chase out of the zone than, say, the Guardians or the Red Sox or the Astros or the Yankees. So well, it'll be very interesting to see how he performs in this start against the Mariners. Um, and, and hopefully, again, too, he's got better control of all of his pitches, but most importantly, that four-seamer and that curveball. Now, before we wrap things up, too, we got to spend some time discussing two of the most notable pitching prospects inside Toronto's uh, organization. And... Excuse me here a little bit because for, for those of you who are regular listeners, you already know 
pronouncing players' names really isn't a strong suit of mine. So I'm going to try my best here not to screw these ones up. But this week, the Blue Jays promoted Yosfer Zulu, Zuluta, Zulita, um, who got a lot of attention before blowing out his ACL last year. Um, and one of the reasons for that is he can touch triple digits with ease. Uh, he's got an electric arm and he has been absolutely dominating hitters down in single A with the nut, with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Um, after just three starts, he's been promoted to the Vancouver Canadiens, Toronto's high A affiliate. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Zulita, he gets a lot of strikeouts. So over those three starts, he faced 51 batters over 12 innings. Know how many batters he struck out? Almost half of them. 23 punch outs over those 12 innings. And he only walked three batters. He hit more batters than he walked at four. He allowed just four earned runs on nine hits. And he was able to, to utilize all of his pitches as well. So, um, no, I don't expect to see him with the Blue Jays at the major league level at any point this season, but considering he is Rule 5 eligible this coming offseason, I think there's probably a safe bet in assuming that Zulita will make his major league debut if he stays healthy, of course, next season at some point whether or not that's as a call-up in September or somebody who emerges as a bullpen weapon at the beginning of the year or something else entirely. But given how electric his stuff is and the fact that he's 24 years old, he could shoot up the Blue Jays system very quickly. And another, one who fall, another player who falls into that category is Ricky Tiedman, who the Blue Jays drafted in the third round of last year's draft, and in just his first professional season, like Zulita, he dominated. And because of that, he as well is going up to High A Vancouver to pitch for the Canadians. So for all you fans who are on the West Coast, you probably should check out these two pitchers if you have the chance, because they're gonna be a lot of fun to watch. Um, with Tiedman in particular, he made six starts with the Dunedin Blue Jays before getting promoted, logging 30 innings and striking out 49 of the 110 batters he faced. He allowed just six earned runs on 11 hits, 13 walks, but the walks really aren't a concern when he's striking out that many hitters. Um, he induces a lot of ground balls too at a 47 or 45.7% clip. Um, you know, I, just even though he's only 19 years old as a left-handed pitcher, six foot four, 220 pounds, he's got electric stuff. Um, not as electric as, as Zulita, but still, he is easily probably, I would say, reading the scouting reports off him, uh, he's probably the most polished pitching prospect the, the Blue Jays 
have in their system. So, you know, given that he's 19 and he's more of a starter, he's probably going to take a little bit longer to develop in the Blue Jays system. Like, I'd, I don't see him making his big league debut as early as next season, like I do with Zulita, because that would be as a reliever. With Tiedman, I see him as more of a starter when he comes up uh, to the big leagues. So, sure, we probably have to wait until probably like 2024, 2025 to see Tiedman. But either way, man, he is a absolute gem. And the Blue Jays are lucky to have him, especially the fact that they found him in the third round of the draft. So you got to love that. But that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And remember, please wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.